The New Testament reading is from Romans chapter 5. When Paul wrote his letter to the church at Rome, he was trying to sum up everything he could share about what he understood to be God's activity in the world. And when he started talking about hope, it was a hope that, though consistent with Scripture, was not something the world at all understood. Listen for God's word. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Greg Garrett once spent a weekend leading a church retreat in Cody, Wyoming, and his hosts built in plenty of time for him to take a hike in Yellowstone. Greg Garrett is a novelist and English teacher at Baylor. He lives here in Austin, and he's a lay preacher in the Episcopal Church. But knowing he was going alone on a hike on a bear-laden trail, his host warned Garrett about a Swiss hiker who'd been eaten by bears the month before. That seemed to affect his whole Yellowstone experience. On his hike, he saw bears everywhere. That tuft of grass, that stump, those shadows in the forest, bears, bears everywhere. He was so uh, jumpy thinking that there were bears all around him, that he couldn't take in the beautiful vistas that Yellowstone provides. In fact, he didn't see anything grand, just lots and lots and lots and lots of things that looked like bears. Garrett reflects, from the news we consume to the opinions we hold, to the pain we feel, to the preoccupations we share, In today's world, if you're looking for bears, you will certainly see bears, but bears may be all you see. Garrett has studied the emotional and spiritual and theological responses in our culture over the last 15 years since 9-11. He concludes, it seems that in our culture, we just keep warning each other about bears. As a result, people of faith who need God's promises don't seem to be able to experience those promises. Instead, we see bears everywhere because we expect to find them everywhere. Everything has changed. That's what we've been told over and over again in response to the uncertainty of today and the applied bleakness of tomorrow. Hope has been a prime casualty of this. Fear is the opposite of faith, and there's lots of fear to go around. A sense of community, a a true sense of community, relies on personal vulnerability, the very thing we're being told right now we have to armor ourselves against. Hope has left very little air to breathe in an age of threat. Everything has changed, and so faith, trust, community, hope are luxuries we are now told we cannot afford. Paul, in writing to his 
letter at Rome, when he arrived at what is now the fifth chapter, he had several choices to make. Paul, in his own life, had been experiencing great suffering, and now he reflects on that suffering by writing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Character produces hope. Suffering produces endurance. Paul could have said that suffering produces bitterness. I think we all know people like that. Or suffering produces discouragement. That would be logical. Or suffering produces a yearning to strike back. But endurance, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And Paul says that hope does not disappoint us. This is a hope that our world does not recognize. If indeed suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us, then we need to be marshalling all our resources and all our energy to share this hope with the world. Do we know what this hope looks like? This hope is not just optimism. Optimism, dreams, wishes, these are the decisions we make. Hope is first and always God's gift to us. Hope is the ability to trust not in our actions, but in God's action. Hope is having the confidence that God will keep God's promises no matter what life throws our way. Has someone ever said to you, just look on the bright side of things, or that thing about you get lemons and you make lemonade or something, or every cloud has a silver lining? Those are all well-meaning, but what is that? That is somebody trying to talk you in to feeling differently about your situation. Having a positive attitude is fine. It's just not the same as biblical hope. Biblical hope? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. That's not the psalmist always looking on the bright side of the street. That's not the psalmist being optimistic about conditions. This is the valley of the shadow of death, and because of God, there is hope. Hope frees us because it doesn't come from us. We don't have to manufacture it. Hope frees us from being strangled by fear or from being suffocated by death. But it seems like our world in all its loud clanging noise wants to substitute small wishes or shallow technique for hope. Now hope does not mean we retreat and we ignore the world around us, not at all. Speaking to a group of German pastors in the 1930s, the theologian Karl Barth, the preeminent theologian of the last hundred years, spoke for over an hour, and he never once mentioned Adolf Hitler. When asked why he failed to comment on the key current issue of their life and world, Barth replied that he had the joyful task of proclaiming Jesus Christ, so why should he waste his audience's time to mention a nothing? This was the sort of behavior that theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, with his realism, despised in Bart. 
the debate for the last 80 years has been, was Bart being unrealistic in his nonchalance or was he working with a different reality? Hope creates and sustains God's own reality. As the poet declares, to allow injustice to jerk us around and command our full attention is to pray as the devil prays. This is no easy calling for us as followers of Jesus Christ. The nothings of this world, as Bart called them, cause unspeakable pain and violence. In our holding fast to God's promises, in our listening carefully to God's Spirit, in our caring and in our choices and in our spending and in our praying and in our giving, we are called to follow Jesus Christ right into God's hope. If hope is going to be real, if hope is going to last, if our hope is going to be able to stand up to all the darkness of the world, then it needs to be deep and wide and strong and gentle which means it needs to come from God and it needs to have an endurance and a character that will go eye to eye with suffering. The late Harvard University minister Peter Gomes once said, Christian hope is not just wishful thinking. And if we are able to communicate that to this broken world, we will have done a great service. I fear, though, that we haven't yet done that great service, and there may be a number of reasons why. One of them is that perhaps we are tired of telling this story. We've told it over and over again, and the world often still looks hopeless. It's hard to get excited again about telling the story of God's hope, but I tell you, if we don't tell that story, and if we don't tell it in effective ways, and if new generations don't learn that story, it'll be a very sad day for God's hope and our faith in it. Before I go much further, I want to say there is no new hope. I'm a collector of antiques, Gomes continued. And when I go to an antique shop and see a sign that says, nothing new here, I'm reassured. I'm hoping that you might be reassured to realize there's nothing new here either. Our new hope is the same hope that God has always given us and has always sustained us. We are custodians and we are stewards of this remarkable hope. There is no new hope. There's only this old hope. There is nothing that surpasses this one witness and testimony of God's love in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't give me some abstract principle. That process has not changed from Jesus' day, and if we've forgotten how to do it or choose not to do it, it's no wonder that our world will not hear it, will not act upon it, and will not take us as seriously as God would like. We have this hope given to us plopped right down in the middle of a world that fears that everything has changed. And it has sustained the people of God from generation to generation to generation back to creation. For the biblical truth is suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and this hope does not disappoint us. The late diplomat Richard Holbrook 
used to give an essential piece of advice for what he calls living a question-driven life. Know something about something. Don't just present your wonderful self to the world. Constantly amass knowledge and offer it around. Well, what followers of Jesus know, what we have come to gather, is the truth about God's hope. What we Christians have to offer this world right now, today, is God's potent hope. Vincent Harding, who died two years ago, was a veteran of the Civil Rights Movement, who I got to know a bit when I was living in Denver, and he was chairperson of the Veterans of Hope Project at Iliff School of Theology in Denver. Harding had in in the past drafted some speeches for Martin Luther King Jr., including King's famous sermon, A Time to Break Silence, that King delivered exactly one year before he was killed. Not long before his death, Harding was interviewed about how the song, This Little Light of Mine, was sung in Selma during the bloody Sunday uh, struggle and the marches across Pettus Bridge. Rather than saying, Governor Wallace, give us our freedom, the whole contingent of marchers gathered and began to sing, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. That, in the face of government power and angry mobs and dogs and guns, And water hoses, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Harding said the most basic, deepest word was, whatever you do, we're going to let our light shine. God gave it to us. We can do nothing but let it shine. For suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and this hope does not disappoint us. Then Vincent Harding said, someone was writing recently about this terminology we've taken about a kumbaya moment, yeah, where we've made fun of this whole experience of facing this horrible thing, and a kumbaya moment is to pretend that we just gather our hands and sing kumbaya and everything is fine. Whenever someone jokes about kumbaya, Harding said, my mind goes back to the Mississippi summer experience where co-workers were coming from all over the country, especially student types to come and help process voter registration and freedom school teaching and taking great risks on behalf of the transformation of that state and this nation. In the first week of orientation, that was the week in which Schwerner and Goodman and their beloved brother Jimmy were there. And it was during that time that they had left campus that they were first arrested, then released, then murdered. The word came back to us at the orientation that they were missing and had not been heard from. And we got up and we told these hundreds of predominantly white young people that if any of them needed to go home at this point, we would understand. We would not think ill of them. We would be grateful for as far as they have come with us. And we said, let's take a couple hours just for people to make the decision and, and, and let's make it now. And Harding said, what I found as I moved among the small groups that were gathering trying to discern this 
gathering together to help each other. They weren't discussing. They weren't making a pro and con list of staying or going. What I found in group after group after group were people gathering and singing, Kumbaya, come by here, my Lord. Someone's missing, Lord. Come by here. We all need you, Lord. Come by here. I could never laugh at kumbaya moments again after that, Vincent Harding said, because I saw that almost no one went home from there. They were going to continue on the path they had committed to, and a great part of the reason why they were able to do that was because of the strength and the power of God's hope and the commitment that they had gained through that experience just singing together in prayer Kumbaya. Presbyterian minister Fred Rogers, maybe known better to most of us as Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, was often honored for his career and his work, and he regularly found himself at banquets and other places appearing before groups of celebrities. Whenever he did this, no matter the audience or the occasion, Fred Rogers never ended his remarks of, go out and do good, or thank you very much, or have a good evening. He always concluded his remarks with the simple benediction, may God be with you, and he returned to his seat. Note that Fred Rogers didn't say God bless you as if God needed to do something new. He knew that God had already blessed them, couldn't help but bless them, would always seek to bless them. May God be with you meant I hope you are aware that God is with you right now, today. An invitation to savor God's imminence and transcendence and presence and put a name to it. Hope is exactly like that. Hope is present right here today in this room. God's hope. God renews it daily for each one of us. God's hope is persistent and it is lasting, and it goes eye to eye with suffering and keeps on hoping. Because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and in this hope, God comes by here and sustains us in God's world where not everything has changed. 